Hey everybody, thanks for joining us back here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister and host of the show, and you can check out everything we are doing and reviewing over on blisterreview.com. Okay, this week I am joined by Will Hilgenberg, the founder and designer behind Albatross Bikes, and we're here to chat because Will has been cooking up something pretty interesting with his apogee module a very unique take on how one can design a semi-custom full suspension bike and the gist of the apogee module is that wills come up with a suspension layout that all packages really neatly into a machined aluminum kind of well module as he puts it center section of the bike and then he's been building a variety of brazed steel front and rear triangles that bolt up to it, and that lets him do not only a wide range of geometry and those kind of configurations without messing with the suspension kinematics, but also by swapping in a couple of different links and tinkering with the internal bits of the module, he can change travel leverage ratios and a bunch of other stuff and make far more customizable custom full suspension bikes than most layouts permit without having to fully start from scratch every time so it's a pretty neat concept and will explains the thinking behind it in very good detail so it's a fun one and he's got some good stuff to say about how to go about making custom full suspension bikes which is sort of been a comparatively rare thing in the bike market when most custom builders are focused on hardtails and road and gravel bikes and so on. So seems like Will's onto something interesting here and hope you enjoy hearing all about it. But before we dive into it too much, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to check out our Blister Plus membership, which gets you a lot of great benefits, including the ability to send us an email and get recommendations on your next bike purchase, upgrade, setup of your current bike, whatever it is you need help with. And well, we think it's a pretty great deal for what you get. So check that out at the link in the show notes and get yourself signed up. And with that, let's get right to my conversation with Will Hilgenberg of Albatross Bikes. Well, well, great to sit down and chat and we met up and kind of got a, you gave me a bit of a rundown on what you were working on sometime earlier over the early spring, I think that would have been, but uh, it's been a while. So, and this will be the first one we're kind of sharing more publicly. So first off, how are you doing and where are you this morning? Hey, pleasure to see you again. Yeah, uh, we are currently in um, Bothell, Washington. A uh, little bit cloudy today, so but not too bad. It seems to be clearing up. Um, and yeah, we're doing we're doing fairly well. So good to see you again. Yeah, likewise. And well, you are the founder of Albatross Spikes, which is kind of the main topic of conversation here. And you've been working on some pretty interesting stuff with the Apogee module and putting together some full suspension bikes. But before we get into that, would just want to start off a bit about what is Albatross Bikes and how did you kick things off with the company in the first place? Where did that all start? 
Yeah, so a little bit about Albatross Bikes. We are a small frame building company based out of Bothell, Washington, and we we work only in steel at the moment. And uh, where we started, um, <laughs> that's a good question. So back in 2016, um, we we kind of got kicked off. I worked in the mountain bike industry um, starting 2014. So started originally with Praxis uh, bikes, uh, or sorry, Praxis components rather. And uh, I, as I was working there, we're kind of realizing that there were some ideas that I had that I wanted to try to experiment and play with that just didn't necessarily scale to the OEM side or that that's size of a business. So uh, Albatross Bikes started out as a bit of an outlet for me to explore some of these ideas, either in frame design or component design and develop um, into a bit of a business. So um, starting out in 2016, worked through a couple designs with our hardtails and um, road bikes, mostly uh, focusing on that extremely dropped uh, seat stay design where we're connecting our dropouts directly to the down tube, skipping the seat tube entirely, uh, working through some of the problems there and developing up until kind of today where uh, moved up to Bothell from Santa Cruz, California and started working on our Apogee full suspension module. So kind of taking that same idea of developing frame flex and uh, starting from a more of a blank sheet design and then understanding of where what our constraints are and what we're trying to design, uh, working from a slightly different design concept and developing a completely new bicycle. Yeah, let's start from kind of some of the other stuff there. Tell us about the dropped seed stay design in some more detail. You obviously kind of touched on the high point of it being very low seed stays that bypass the c-tube and tie into the down tube a bit forward to the bottom bracket but what's the idea there and was that kind of one of the original concepts that you talked about wanting to explore that you really kind of drove you to start the thing in the first place yeah it was so that was i think that idea really came from my background in human-powered vehicle design where we uh, designed some very interesting recumbents and having that background in composite design, basically designing, trying to figure out how to get two wheels and a person down the road as fast as possible. Um, and kind of working from that standpoint, obviously not a recumbent, recumbents aren't very good off-road. So what we wanted to do is start from that basic idea of how do we get someone down the trail um, either as quickly or as enjoyably as possible and what we can do to develop that. And over the years, like if you take a look back through um, uh, the development of the bicycle and, and how it's evolved over the years, it's done a really good job of, of building a very lightweight and very strong structure. And I, a lot of that has come from uh, advancements in materials and, and that same structural design can be refined continually until uh, you end up with an extremely lightweight structure. And that is that is great. It's It works well for many applications, but what we're interested in is going back to that, trying to design that experience and that ride feel that we want. So now that our materials have advanced to a, to a certain point, we're able to start playing with the geometry and dropping those seat stays down and 
as we were developing this design, we've we started with your standard double diamond double diamond triangle. Double yeah, double diamond triangle. And dropping those seat stays down on the seat tube, you start adding stress to your seat tube itself, which means you're adding material. Found out that's not, maybe not the best idea. So instead of back coming back up and sticking with the double diamond, we kept going. So drop those seat stays lower and lower. And what we found is that um, while it does induce a little bit more flex in the frame, what we're seeing is that it the direction in which it twists torsionally is more aligned with your axles. So in your traditional double diamond frame, if you do make it a little bit less stiff, which is a challenge, since inherently the geometry creates a very stiff structure, as you loose, um, as you soften that up, your line of, of flex in your rear triangle is pointed more uh, further away from horizontal, which means that rear wheel as it flex has an element of steering in it. So that's where you get that sensation of when you're pedaling and when you're out of the saddle on a very flexy traditional frame, it feels like you're kind of going all over the place. And that's because that rear wheel has an element of steer in it. So as we're dropping the seat stays down, not only are we able to get this, the seat tube to flex a little bit more in concert with the rest of your front triangle, but you're also controlling that torsional flex and putting it in a direction that is more conducive towards um, like a lateral element of suspension. Okay, that's pretty interesting. So you're saying kind of that the as the frame flexes, the wheel just sort of twists more like in an axis, more sort of parallel to the direction that the bike's traveling. And so you don't have the wheel turning about an axis with like a slightly more vertical component that causes it to steer. Is that about right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be a good way of putting it. It, it gives you, it breaks out the flex more into a lateral and vertical compo- component instead of a combined component, which is difficult to control. Interesting. And okay. And so you, you were, you kind of talked about applying that to some sounded like you're talking about road bikes a bit in there too. So where did you kind of start with the development of that concept generally? And what have you applied it to at this point? We started with that development with uh, mountain bikes. So that was where we saw the greatest benefit of this coming from. Um, I think the, the best case that we, uh, really found it was that kind of kitty litter over hard pack, uh, kind of riding that you'll find a lot in Southern California or depending on time of the year, central California as well. Um, where you're out of the saddle on a hardtail, kind of cranking on the bars, putting power in, and the rear wheel keeps skipping, and you have to kind of balance front and forwards and backwards in order to get that traction. What we found is that by dropping the seat stays, that it gives you an element of flex, which gives you some give and keeps that rear tire on the ground and keeps producing um, kind of forward propulsion on that regard. So we we found that this element of that design is really beneficial for hardtail mountain bikes and then also finding it being very applicable in cyclocross um, where you have smaller tires they don't necessarily have that same volume especially if you're going to be limited more on a uci tire kind of basis Um, you just don't have that same volume to be able to generate that traction out of uh, the squish that you have in the tire so by um, implementing this drop seat stay you're able to get that traction, get that forward bite, and 
drive out of the corner a little bit faster. When it comes to road applications, we don't see it be as uh, great of a of benefit simply because you have the traction there on the road. You're able to get a little bit more of that flex out of that seat tube. And overall, the the, the terrain that you're traversing is, is a lot smoother and a lot more consistent. So you don't have those, um, those great of a terrain that you have to accommodate. So for us, we're seeing that the biggest benefit is on mountain bike and cyclocross, basically bikes that go off-road. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, maybe I just misinterpreted what you said about a road application for it. But, and so kind of figured that whole concept out and you're, you were kind of principally doing that for just custom frame builds at that point. Right. Is that fair? And you also a minute ago sort of teased some history working on carbon fiber recumbents of some description, but kind of breezed right on by that. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So, um, my, I guess my full background is, is a little bit un, unusual, unique, uh, in that I, I grew up around, um, vintage motorcycle racing. So this is a whole different step before we get to recumbents. I promise it makes sense. Um, so grew up around vintage motorcycle racing where you're really hands-on, always, uh, building different chassis, making parts fit. So I grew up kind of in a machining environment very early on. Um, and when I went to college, um, I was fortunate enough to get into Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and they have a very hands-on, um, philosophy. So a lot of student clubs, a lot of, uh, shop time there. You, it's fantastic if you want to have your hands, get your hands dirty in the shop and really understand what you're doing. So one of the student clubs that they had there was human powered vehicle club. Um, and that's bringing it back around. Um, and so what we did there is we would build, um, fully composite recumbents with a full fairing on them for both a collegiate competition. And then also for competition at the world human powered speed challenge, which is the, um, top speed competition out in Nevada. So we're talking yeah, like I, I think one of the bikes that we built and that I was riding, we got it up to 52 miles an hour on the flat, no tailwind, no nothing, just pure human effort. Um, and you're able to do that by building a, a, a stiff bike, an aerodynamic bike, and something that handles well at speed. So through that experience early on, started learning more about um, frame flex, started learning about composites. Um, how to build molds, how to machine, how to do all these different things. And then started realizing that, oh, hey, look, I can apply some of this to these other two-wheeled bikes that I I ride and I'm far more familiar with your mountain bikes and your road bikes. Okay, that's cool. And I guess given that background and composites experience, why go forward with steel bikes then? Very good question. The... I prefer steel because it's a very strong material. It's a very flexible material um, and flexible in, in like manufacturing sense, not necessarily in the uh, rigidity sense. So it's, you're able to do a lot with it and you're able to um, control the variance and have build custom frames that are specific to each individual. Um, when it comes to composites, you're able to have a lot more control and a lot 
a lot more specificity in your material. So you're able to have directional stiffness and you're able to control some of these elements in some better fashion, but you end up spending a lot of time in molds to do it correctly. And it's, it's a very expensive and very messy process. Uh, additionally, having spent time in the, uh, the industry and just seeing the number of um, rejects that get re- rejected carbon bikes that get thrown on a trash pile. Um, it's the, it's the not so pretty side of the industry that um, I don't really like too much. Cause all those, unfortunately um, there's like a handful of ways to recycle them, but none of them are able to, there's no technology at the moment to be able to bring your material back to its strong straight state that it starts with. So it ends up just being landfill. Um, and so what we prefer to do is use steel, which is very recyclable, very easy to repair um, and makes, makes products that last for a very long time. Fair enough. And well, then kind of you have this business making some custom steel frames, but non-suspension bikes and, where along the line did the full suspension bike development start in there? So the full suspension bike development started in around, let's say 20, let's see, it was 23. So it's around 2021 um, where I was kind of in, I was talking with a number of our customers and, and seeing what they're looking for and what they needed to f- to fit their desired experience is a full suspension bike. And it's something that we didn't necessarily have. Um, and so that kind of started the ideas rolling and, and made me wonder, like, can we take these same principles of designing frame flex into a, a bike just as a um, additional element to control the ride quality, if you could apply that into a full suspension bike. Um, and so in these conversations kind of started exploring different ideas, um, and then in 22, like late 22, um, started putting together CAD model, working through kinematic designs and trying to build out a full suspension platform that would be flexible and be able to meet the demands of our, our custom frames and then, um, have a tangible performance benefit as well. Um, for if we wanted to explore stock frame sizing as well. Yeah. And well, where you've ended up is pretty interesting there and a bit unconventional. So tell us a bit about the Apogee module, as you're calling it, and what that design looks like and kind of what the concept is behind it. Absolutely. So the Apogee module um, is a, a bike that is built similar to how a motorcycle would be built, where you have a, a central kind of case um, that holds all the kinematics and then you bolt on your front triangle and your rear triangle separately. So that way, what we're able to do is we're able to pull all of the suspension pivot points into a very small area, um, support them with a, an aluminum exoskeleton effectively and um, control the flex and make sure that all the tight tolerance pieces are CNC'd and, and produced in a way that's that makes sense for that. But then when it comes to the rest of the frame, so your front triangle and your rear triangle, those are still made out of steel. And by doing so, we're able to have that element of customization, that frame flex, that right characteristic that you're looking for um, without affecting all of your kinematic 
um, tolerances that you really need to hold to have high quality uh, kinematic performance. Right. So to sort of distill it down, you've got kind of a machined aluminum, like you said, exoskeleton, or I would have maybe gone with cradle, <laughs> but whatever, kind yeah. of different ways of describing the same thing that contains, like you said, all of the pivot points and a bunch of machined links to tie all the suspension together. And then you just have a couple of hard points where you're bolting on, as you said, front and rear triangles and sort of a way to make a streamline the manufacturing of custom geometry, full suspension bikes, because you are needing to mess around with fewer variables and deal with controlling pivot locations when you're around, when you're moving tubes around and all that kind of stuff too, to achieve the geometry you're after. And it's a pretty interesting way of having gone about that. And I mean, tell us more about what you're sort of envisioning as being kind of the intended uses travel range that you can hit with the module, all that kind of stuff. The intended uses for this bike are it's, it's ranging. So when we, for Albatross as custom frames, what we want to do is we, that we think of the, um, the bike, the bicycle as a tool to achieve an experience. And in this case, we have a full suspension bike with suspension ranging from 120 to 145 in its current iteration. Um, and we're able to use that from your, your standard trail riding out to maybe enduro, depending on, I mean, that, that terminology is, is a little bit, uh, uh, fluid, I guess, and how you describe it, where, where you're riding, how you're riding, but, um, just, I would think of it as a trail and all mountain bike that is flexible and, and able to work within a, a wide range of different, uh, applications. And with the benefit of having that separable steel front triangle and rear triangle, we're able to adjust the geometry to uh, suit whatever style of riding that you're looking for. If you want something that's a little bit more nimble and be more on that trail bike side, we can we can have that a um, little bit steeper, a little bit long, a little bit longer, kind of cross country ish feeling to it. Um, or we can slacken it out, kind of drop the seat post down, drop everything as low as possible, give you a lot more clearance and freedom of movement on the bike and uh, use that one 145 millimeter travel configuration um, to the most of its uh, capabilities. As far as sort of the thinking behind the suspension kinematics and kind of general layout, what kind of stuff are you targeting there? We're looking for something that's very predictable. Um, and that's for me, first and foremost, that's always been something that I've looked for in, in full suspension bikes is I want something that I know how it's going to react every single time I come to a different corner or even in the same corner. Um, I want it to be repeatable. So the, the goal of our, our full suspension platform has been to have a very linear and a very predictable suspension feel. So, uh, we're designing right now specifically around a, a coil shock with uh, a linear progressive uh, leverage curve. And that allows us to have that repeatable feel that we're looking for every single time. You you, know, you mentioned a kind of rough tra travel range of 120 to 145 millimeters or so. I'm guessing you were constrained to a certain range of total um, kind of eye to eye 
for given the way the layout works, at least as presently implemented, and you're kind of changing uh, stroke within that to tweak some things. But do you think there's potential for um, alternate versions with expanding that range and doing maybe a different eye-to-eye shock within that package to accommodate a, a different travel range and that kind of thing down the line? Or how widely flexible are you imagining this being, I guess? Yeah, so this is um, the Apogee module is uh, is designed from the get-go to be flexible. Um, this 120 to 145 is is really the range that we're targeting right now. And it's, it's something that we're familiar with and, and we know we can execute on. Um, so that's all done through a change in the linkage too. That's not, that travel change is not by cha- changing the stroke. So we do have a lot more freedom to increase the stroke length and be able to accommodate longer travel uh, suspension as well. So uh, all of that is is something that we want to do and we want to explore. At the There are trade-offs as we go shorter travel as well. So the 120 to 145 is, is really where we feel this maximizes the current design and we still have flexibility in that uh, cradle uh, to be able to change change the rocker, change the tension link in that uh, free float kinematic design to be able to go longer travel or to go shorter travel, all without changing the geometry of your bike. So if you if you were riding a sixty four head angle uh, four seventy range, for example. Um, and you wanted to kind of experiment and kind of uh, try try something with a little bit more travel, you could either change it depending on the fork that you're running. You can change the travel on the on the fork, uh, swap out a, a rocker and a tension link, and you're able to move from a 120 to a 145, potentially out to a 160. I know we are currently uh, protecting the design, so we can actually have a 160 travel bike. We just want to make sure that we are going to deliver a very uh, very well-developed 145 package first, and then go expand from there. But this, this module is a platform, and this is how we want to uh, kind of grow all of our offerings and and ex- explore different variations of this same frame. Right. This is kind of part of what I was trying to get at here is that it's an interesting way of approaching modularity on a full suspension bike. And we've seen various versions of that, you know, general concept of making a an adaptable full suspension bike before, maybe most notably from Gorilla Gravity kind of having done their modular flame frame platform but uh generally speaking you're kind of those efforts have based the modularity around a single front triangle and messing with the links in between them to change travel and geometry to varying extents and you know you can work within a range there but it definitely limits what you can do with geometry because you've got this constrained relationship between head tube and c-tube angle and and as you make the bike slacker you're just rocking the whole front triangle rearward and shortening the reach and all this kind of stuff and it's sort of a balancing act to manage the different geometry changes that result from trying to do that kind of thing and your system works very differently you're kind of working from the inside out with it in a way you then have this ability to not be 
reliant on a single triangle and having to just change its orientation to deal with everything and offer a lot more flexibility and geometry through that. So it's a, it's a neat idea. Uh, and I mean, what do you sort of see as being the, um, applicability of offering a bike that has that modularity? I mean, we talked touched on the thought that it's a way to make it more straightforward to offer custom geometry on a full suspension bike in some ways. But what about the flip side of that, of having a bike that someone can buy and then sort of tweak and make a different variation on down the line without having to totally start from scratch? What does that look like in your concept here? We've, we've built out this bike as a very modular platform from the beginning. Uh, and so that allows us to do a number of different things, whether that's having the freedom to change out the front triangle if you wanted to. If, if, um, if you have an accident and something uh, changes into your own flexibility or your, your own um, reach or strength, we can change the front triangle, give you that um, same feel that you're looking for and adapt that. Um, if you wanted to hold the front triangle the same, then you can start changing out links to change your travel without affecting geometry. Um, I've had experiences in the past racing enduro where some tracks are very rough and you want to have that longer travel, kind of super plush, sit in deep and uh, take up all those kinds of different hits. But then you go to a different track and, or course rather, and it's, it's very, very fast, very, um, uh, you're accelerating out of corners. It's pretty smooth and you want to, you want something that's a little bit shorter travel. So instead of trying to have two bikes to really maximize your performance there, you're able to change out uh, a handful of small parts on the actual module itself. And your, and your once your 140 mil travel bike becomes a 120 mil travel bike. It's faster to pedal out of the corners. You're, you have that much more lively feel and you're able to tune your bike to the conditions that you're, you're riding. Um, the other thing that we're seeing with this modularity and uh, it's since, since we are uh, on over audio and I can't really show you this, the, the module itself is about the size of your standard bicycle water bottle. Um, so it's, it's very small, very compact. And what that lets us do is it kind of goes back to that really, um, gives you a lot of design freedom on how big that front triangle is. So we've actually had people um, come to us asking about um, fitting different riders of different sizes, whether that's like just very short riders very or uh, kids that are uh, growing up and want to have a good bike. You can build a good bike. You can build a rear triangle around 24 inch wheels. And as, as they grow, you're able to swap out the rear triangle and front triangle without changing your kinematics. And so you can carry through more of your bike um, as, as, as your kid grows. Um, with that, that modular element too, uh, what we can do is we can actually change out different components of the bike depending on what kind of flex characteristics you want too. So if you wanted a, a stiffer rear triangle, uh, well, we will be offering different options there and um, be able to give you that ride feel that you're looking for. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And again, to 
sort of reiterate you're kind of talking about doing steel front and rear triangles again on this principally aluminum module through the middle of it and i guess kind of pretty much sky's the limit on geometry or what can you achieve with that how wide a range of flexibility are we talking here yeah i mean it's with a a custom frame it is pretty much sky's the limit um we're we're looking to offer a standard range of stock sizing so we'll have some sizes that we feel meet a lot of the needs but if you do want something custom what we're able to do is yeah where we, if you wanted a 60 degree head angle super short reach bike it's something that we can do um the chainstay length is going to be a little bit limited because of clearances so we're going to be going as short as 430 on a 29er um likely a little bit shorter on a 27.5 so it's um and this is where you can go whether you should is a completely different answer um and that's something that we're able to leverage our experience in developing a lot of uh, different geometries for different people and uh, kind of give you some uh, pointers on where we think the geometry should be for your riding experience and the trails that you're riding as well sure and to clarify those kind of chainstay lengths you're talking about would be the lower end based on clearance and you could go longer from there is that right absolutely yeah so that's the when it comes to uh, designing the actual swing arm and as we develop different uh, geometries for different people yeah we're, we're going to be limited on how short we can go because of the module being there um you can't make a, a 400 millimeter two two nine 29er uh chainstay length becomes a little bit challenging but we can go longer so if you want um as riders get larger as you want to have a little bit more traction depending on on what you're looking for yeah we can we can make those chainstays longer Mm-hmm. Okay. And I mean, where are you at on the prototyping development stage and moving towards bringing these to market? How's all that going? And what's the current status there? It's going well. Um, right now, we we first launched with the um, launched this whole Apogee module at the Made Bike Show this year um, in August. And since then, we've been writing our prototype, the first proof of concept and building more prototypes as we go. And so right now we have a, a fleet of uh, three proof of concept prototypes that we're, we have out there um, down in South Lake Tahoe, one up here with me in Bothell, Washington, and then another one somewhere, I can't remember where it is right now, um, but we've been writing them kind of proving out that we like the kinematics, like linkages, the way that they're designed. Um, and then also um, really evaluating, tearing them down, um, building them back up and looking at it from a mechanic standpoint as well and, and seeing, are they a pain in the butt to work on? Are, are we happy with how they uh, all come together um, along with your, uh, what, what you'd normally expect, which is evaluating the durability of these bikes and, and how well they uh, last over time. Sure. And when do you expect to start selling bikes at this point? Right now, we're still targeting a summer 24 uh, launch for, for these bikes. As as we develop and as we continue to um, work on the, the, the frame itself, 
we'll be uh, reevaluating that, make sure that we're very clear with what we're uh, going to be producing because we want to make sure that we are going to be producing a bike that is going to last a long time and it's going to be the right bike for the customer. Um, so it, right now that's summer 24. Uh, we'll see as we go along. Um, but we do have a monthly newsletter where we're um, keeping everybody on board and, and bringing everybody on board and uh, really sharing more of the behind the scene background details on how we're going through this development process and where we are in the development and what the next steps are. So really bringing you along with the whole process that you normally don't get to see um, being on the other side of the fence. Yeah, it's been cool seeing that and just interesting following. How about the name Albatross? Where did that come from? The name Albatross came from um, just looking at my, my background is in aeronautical engineering. And so really interested in flight, looking at different aspects of it. And so the name Albatross came from uh, looking at the wandering Albatross. Actually, it's one of the it is the one of the fastest flying birds and it can actually fly for years um, without hitting land once, which is absolutely astounding. It's a completely ridiculous bird, but it's fundamentally the albatross is a very refined, very well-designed bird uh, if you think about it. And so we're, we've just been really inspired by that and uh probably want to kind of have that similar kind of very tuned very well-designed bikes. That's interesting. I didn't see that coming necessarily. So cool. And how about the range of other stuff that you're offering kind of more currently, you know, full suspension bikes in development that's coming along, but plugging away at the hardtails and what have you and anything, any, particular standout bikes that you've built over the course of uh, Albatross's history or anything that sort of feels like the particular niche that you occupy the best with those? Right now we offer hardtails and um, and fully rigid bikes, uh, whether they're gravel or road. Um, and out of all those, I think the best way to explain it is that we're we're very good at bikes that go off-road, whether that's a gravel bike, whether that's a hardtail, cyclocross, however you want to describe it. Um, if it goes off-road, that's what we're good at. So um, I'd say our, our hardtail is a, a very notable standout in that it has that drop stay geometry. It's a very different ride characteristic and delivers a different experience overall. Well, well, I mean, this has been fun, kind of a good rundown on what you're up to any other kind of final thoughts that you want to touch on before we let you get back to it here yeah so i i think one of the things that i i wanted to make very clear is that um with albatross bikes something that i really wanted to build with this company is is to serve a wider range of riders so i i've personally been very fortunate to have been um quote unquote sample size in the bike industry where five foot 10 white <laughs> for size 42 shoe. Um, and so I've been very privileged to have had an excellent experience and have had bikes that are designed for people who 
look and are sized and are built very similar to the way that I am. And so one of the core tenets of what we're trying to do with Albatross has been to um, build in a lot more flexibility and be able to uh, build bikes that can work with riders that are shorter with taller and be able to generate the same experience across the board. So I, uh, I've ridden with riders that have a hard time where it's like, yes, you can ride, ride this bike, but there's always something that's not quite right. And we want to make sure that that experience is a good experience for all riders rather than just your sample size individuals. Yeah. And it's something that you kind of see on a lot of full suspension bikes where, you like particularly on really small models you just start to end up having running into packaging consider constraints and things like that that make it hard to get the standover low enough or whatever you, these kinds of of issues on a lot of little bikes in particular and um it makes sense that by just packaging all the suspension super low into the module down by the bottom bracket you just have a ton of space left around that to do kind of whatever and have a lot of room to make bikes and sort of outlier sizes and all the rest of that kind of stuff. So certainly makes sense from that standpoint and the ability to make something that's just adaptable and can look a whole lot of different ways, depending on what the customer wants out of. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I mean, not it's, and it's not just, just the geometry that we're trying to fit. It's, it's that, that's that ride feel like as frames get smaller, they get stiffer. So you have to figure out how to make that work. Um, whether it's upper body strength differences, where you're carrying your mass, um, also to the kinematics, because we're able to pull all those kinematics into a smaller area, make it very easy to change. We're able to adapt and tweak those kinematics to work with those lighter riders as well. So it's, um, it's, it's designing from the beginning, to accommodate all these different constraints and all these different goals rather than starting from your from the middle to, and then figuring out how to make the, the extremes work. So, and well, on that note of tweaking kinematics for given folks, I mean, how widely do you anticipate really being able to do that? Because obviously that gets a little bit complicated in that you've got potentially custom machined links in the rest and sort of, what are you imagining that part of the customization or ordering process looking like if, you know, once things are up and running with production, someone comes to you and wants a bike, what is that whole situation going to look like? And how are you going to kind of talk through designing a bike for someone? How do you think about that stuff? As we design, d design a custom bike for someone, everything starts with a conversation. So it's understanding um, kind of your, your basic physical uh, attributes, whether you're, you're tall, whether you're shorter, whether you would figure out your weight, your riding style, where you're riding, um, and understanding what you're trying to get out of that. So with, um, with our background in designing for those different people, we're able to then uh, begin to understand what that rider is looking for and develop and engineer the bike to work with that. So from a kinematic standpoint, we anticipate having um, a number of kind of baseline uh, designs that we're able to um, use as a starting point. And the, the one upside of, of having 
um, your, your conventional mountain bikes being designed from your middle and then making the extremes work is that suspension itself is very tunable. So you'll have a, a, you have a fairly wide range of adjustment. Obviously there's a sweet spot in the middle of that. So what we're trying to do, what we're able to do is, um, change the kinematics to hit that sweet spot with each of those different riders and, um, use the adjustment to make up for all the little details after that. And when you're talking about changing kinematics for a given bike, I'm imagining giving the layout, which is, I guess, effectively a, well, it's a linkage driven single pivot, but that's actuating the shock from both ends with kind of a, um, I forget the word you used for it earlier in the conversation, but kind of a drag link between the two tying a couple of links together. Um, and so I'm imagining you're talking principally about leverage curve there and um, being the biggest variable that you'd be experimenting with. Is that fair? Yes. Yes. That would be adjusting um, where some of your kinematic points are and, and it, which can then drive the adjustment in the leverage curve. Um, and by by making everything as compact as possible, one of the trade-offs there is that it becomes very sensitive to any pivot placement change, which in in one sense means that no, we, we it becomes very difficult to manufacture all in steel and braced assembly or a welded assembly. And so by switching to CNC, we're able to have that much tighter tolerances, but then we're able to have that control and, and make those changes in the kinematics very easily by making small changes that have a relatively large impact. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, cool. And, well, Wells has been neat rundown on what you're up to, and it's been fun watching things progress from here and lots more to go. So uh, keen to follow along as it all happens and let you get back to it here. But thanks for taking the time to chat. This has been great. Yeah, thank you. All right. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And as always, we would very much appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in your podcast player of choice to help keep the show going and growing. I'd also like to say thanks to Will for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we'll be back again next week. Bye, everybody.